Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. I'm back with Sue and we're going to do some productivity insights. And on this episode, we're going to focus on frequently asked questions. So lots of questions we get asked by um, new clients, current clients. So we'll work through a few of them and, and explore where we get to. Did you want to kick off, Susan? Yes. So the first question that we get asked a lot is, do people change their behaviours when they're being studied? I think the answer is potentially for the first hour or so. Um, But I also think that by using pace rating, that's normalised out of the data. So I think we've talked about pace rating before in a different episode, but do you want to give people a reminder of what pace rating is? Yeah, pace rating is where analysts are trained to be able to assess the effectiveness that somebody is working at versus a British standard, where the British standard is 100. And kind of we call it pace rating, but it's more than that. It's also about how effective they're being. So, for example, if I'm walking at a good pace, but I'm carrying something and spilling a load of it, then I'd be downrated because from an effective point of view, I might be going quickly, but I'm not doing a good job of it. So pace is then used to normalise things. So I think sometimes people have concerns that do people perhaps slow down when they're being timed to make things look like they take longer? Well, again, the pace rating would pick that up because if somebody's working at 80, then actually on the when we then do the analysis, it's then normalised back as if it was 100. The only people that you perhaps wouldn't want to study in that way would be if they're going slower because they're new in the training. So really, we should only be studying qualified operatives so that people that are competent at the role so if you've got someone that's brand new and in training and they're slow because of that then they aren't a good subject to be studying so that answers the question kind of what if what if you go slow speed up which is good uh ones i i kind of get so how many stores locations should i study what's the sample size it's always a tricky one isn't it because it depends so the more variability there is in whatever you're measuring, then the bigger sample size you need. So if I've got 10 restaurants, but each of them is a different format, I'll need to spend longer in each one than if they were all the same. So it can be variability in terms of kind of the, the outlet type that you're measuring. Um, it can also be variability in the processes. So if a process is always the same... So a production line might be kind of an obvious example where it's a standard one. Then you don't need to measure it very often because it's always the same. But things that are more variable, so it might be different menu items in a restaurant, anywhere where people and conversations are involved always has a lot of variability in it. So, for example, customers in a shop, they might be chatty, they might be not, all that sort of thing. So it depends on the variability. I think often we say it kind of in a small, uh, smaller number of outlets, you might be looking to do 10% of the estate. But obviously, if you've got 2,000 shops, then you wouldn't be looking to do 10%. So it varies. It's not just the number of stores. It's also how many days you spend. Yeah. So there's no there's no magic formula, I don't think. It's on a case-by-case basis, along with, as you say, that bit around the variability. Yeah is a key bit and I think that that's probably a a case in point around number of days that you say so there's some organizations 
organizations out there that are kind of hooked on the measuring all the time and measuring everything we're not massive advocates of that i think every time you measure it changes the number so you've then got a bigger data set clearly more robust data but you've got to explain the variance so kind of leads me on to how often should you remeasure again it's that it depends question so if you're in a business that doesn't change at all why would you bother Remeasuring, but the reality is that businesses do change all the time. So, if if you assume that somebody's done a, a sort of a, a big wholesale measure of most of the processes, you can then just follow it up. So, if you change one part of your operation, you can just follow it up by measuring just that one part, and that can be a very good way to see how change is working and, and identifying other ways to optimize it. Um, generally. Most people would want to rebase their numbers a maximum of kind of three to four years because yep. things do just change. Yeah, well, if, if Customers you, and people change, if nothing else. Yeah, and if you think what happened pre and post pandemic, there was a massive change there, wasn't there? So yeah. um, interesting. So more than just times, again, I speak to people and they say, I got handed this spreadsheet or I got given this pie chart. Uh, that's great, there must be more to it. And my answer is always, absolutely, there is. So just talk to us a bit about uh, insight around some of the studies. So we always like to do more than just give over the data to people. So yes, people can have the raw data and um, go through it as, as kind of anybody else would provide to them. What we then try to do is then say, well, from that data, this is what it's telling you. This is why, this is the data that supports that. And as a result of that, here are the quantified opportunities of things that you could do. And here are some ideas that you might like to look at. So we'll always try and take it further. Partly there's lots of richness in the data. So there's the different study types, but all of them have got a degree of richness in that we can get to partly through benchmarking um, because we've got some great data sets that we can benchmark against. But we also like to combine it with the observations that our analysts make on site. You know, they're all trained observers and they spot things that perhaps you wouldn't show up on the data. And I think it's like kind of some of the data that you may get presented. It's like having the book and the chapters, but then no words in each chapter. The insight gives you the richness and all the detail underneath. Yeah, it, unless it, it's it's made actionable for you then actually it's always quite a challenge. And although we deal with this sort of data all the time, the majority of people don't. You know, it's something that's that's different and new and, and anything that we can do to help people get the most out of it is is a positive thing. Brilliant. One that's cropping up more and more, I think, is people are struggling with economics, shrink, wage inflation is why, why do I need a, a workload model? Why do I need to know how long things take and then build from the bottom up? to kind of suppress from the the top down to meet the financial demands? Why shouldn't I just go back to cost to sell? Cost to sell is just such a blunt tool, isn't it? For one time in my career, I was uh, running shops that were low productivity and it was in a tough economic area. So my average basket sale was pretty low. So the average transaction value was low. I'd got colleagues that were kind of in much more affluent areas that people would buy more expensive items and we'd still have to put the same number of, you know, fill up the same number of items to the shelf. We'd have to serve the same number of customers through the till, but actually the value of the sales that I was getting were lower than what my some of my 
colleagues would be in in more well-off areas. So that's a good example of why it needs to be different because if you just went with a cost to sell, then my stores would have been under-resourced and potentially their stores would have been over-resourced. Well, and I think, again, in the current economic climate, it's an interesting debate because there's a divergence of cost and volume. So I could be... If I take a million... If I sell a million things for a pound or one thing for a million pounds in a cost-to-sell scenario... Yeah. It's the same, but actually I've got a million times more workload in one than two. But ultimately at the moment, with price inflation, prices are going up, so my sales are going up through nothing I'm doing, but volume's probably dropping. Yeah. So actually, again, in a cost-to-sell world, you're masking the true impact of work needed. So the reality, probably for most people at the moment, is sales are higher, but there's less work that needs doing, so I therefore need less budget. Counterintuitive, yeah. I get but actually the price increase isn't volume, it's yeah. item price that's going through. Yeah. Any other questions you can think of that people are often asking you when you're presenting about data or in conversation? Uh, perhaps one thing is about how what's the best way to engage their teams when they're doing these things. Because obviously you, what we do isn't secret. There's a person that turns up and is observing processes happening. So making sure that works well by having teams that are expecting us, know what's happening, know there aren't any secrets is is usually the best way to go. Yeah, and it's a balance, isn't it? Because sometimes the initiative is around cost saving, which is sensitive because as consequences clearly depending on the results. Sometimes it's around just actually understanding what's happening in that business and then making decisions off the back of the data. Sometimes it's about putting more people in front of customers. Sometimes it's a mix of all three. So treading carefully is important, but I think what I've seen being as transparent as you can be at the initial briefing is also really important. Yeah. I think there's there's sort of three steps that we'd say are the best practice. So one is if there's a phone call, um, then so a phone call with perhaps the line managers and that sort of people, so they've got a chance to... Um, ask any questions that's led by the central team so it's their own people and then we're there to answer any questions that they've got is a great way to do it follow that up with some written comms because not everybody's going to get to the to that brief so follow it up with some written comms that again sets out we're interested in people not processes we don't capture people's names it's not secret we'll happily show you the tablet we want to know your thoughts um that's that's a good way to do it. And then when the analyst arrives location to start studying, if there's a team huddle or team briefing, it's great if our analyst can join that, say hello to everybody. And again, it just reassures everybody. So, you know, everybody knows what's happening and why. Yeah. And the benefits of getting information from colleagues. So we're independent. They can share their gripes or their golden nuggets with us and we can build that into the deck as well. Yeah. And then a final question for you is, are there things that we can't measure? So is there anything that you can't measure? Um, I I think practically you can measure anything that happens from a, can I go and watch somebody doing it? I think there's a, a couple of things that always stand out. One frequency, so you could spend a lot of time trying to capture something that doesn't happen very often or is weekly or monthly or done in the the dead of night or whatever. And I think there's also a bunch of stuff and training's always the one 
that is a conversation. Can you measure training? Absolutely. How much did you see in the study? None. Yeah. So why is that? Well, because people are busy and it's one of the first things that's that's dropped or is done at home or just not happening or batched up. And I think training is a great example of, from a workload model point of view, it's a policy decision. So what do you want to fund per head, per employee, per week, month, year for, for training and then build that into the model? Measuring what happens probably tells you and I'd say 99.9% of the times what you don't want to know that there's not enough of it happening or none of it. So you've got to turn turn it on its head for that one and say, well, so how do we create the funding to give the time? And then locally, how do people use and plan that time effectively? Um, sometimes things like emails, they're tricky. You know, how many come in? An email response could be a line, it could be 10 lines. So again, efficiency study and looking at it proportionally rather than in absolute decimal minutes. They're, they're probably the, the two, those admin bits and certainly training is a recurring conversation of can you measure training? Yeah. And I suppose actually with the range of techniques that we've got, we can measure everything from things that take small fractions of seconds through to kind of as long as you want to go. Um, I guess some of the things that you perhaps, um, you know, even production lines and that sort of thing, there's really easy ways videoing and then looking at those. So I think most things, unless it was something that, you know, happened over a year or something like that, like you say, low frequency, things that don't happen very often over a really prolonged period of time, then they can be trickier to do. Yeah, and I think there's some other tricky bits around processes that are... So if you think of a sales process, sometimes you might speak to the customer and I'm talking in a in a high-end um, furniture world, you might speak to the customer in January. They might then decide to buy it in April yeah. and they might then have delivery in August. So there, there's some things where you're not going to see end-to-end the same customer, but you can see representative the end-to-end the component parts of the process because yeah. you, you would be there physically too long. Yes, if you see every step of the process, you can then put those bits together, even if it wasn't one single customer. Yeah, and, and you want to see that a number of times, so you get a nice average. Yeah, and back to your point, you know, things like pizza making, car production, that whole MTM world then comes into play that we've talked about on other podcasts around video, breaking down those human movements to move the, the kind of timings through. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty more. I think those are the, the key ones. Maybe we do another one of these uh early in 2024 but those are the key ones hope you found that helpful and thanks again sue for your time thanks bye